Well, thank you everybody for joining us. I'm Father Chris Alar here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. We are live on the day before the Feast of the Assumption and we celebrate today Maximilian Kolbe. So it's a great day to have you with us as we take you back to seminary with no cost and a lot less time. So you're getting all of a condensed version of what I learned in seminary. So you're learning everything that I've learned and more because as we add to it, as we go along now, sorry for the confusion. If you were trying to dial in and it said corporal works of mercy, that was two weeks ago. Um, I'd love to blame cameraman Giuseppe, but it's totally my fault. I sent brother Mark the wrong file. Hopefully you're now gonna get the spiritual works of mercy, which Jesus said is even more important. That's why we're here today. So let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us to open our minds and hearts to be able to do your spiritual works of mercy, even if it is only through simple prayer. And we ask all this through the intercession of our Blessed Mother Mary, through Maximilian Kolbe, and Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So again, we're doing spiritual works of mercy. It's a continuation from two weeks ago. Now, we know in the Bible, if we want to receive God's mercy, we have to be merciful. Be merciful like the Heavenly Father. This is for everyone no matter if you're bedridden, sick, anything, it's for all of us. Let's read what Jesus said to St. Faustina. For those of you here at the shrine, you can get our, um, our online stream to see these slides. Let's read what Jesus said in, diary, in the diary of St. Faustina. Many souls are often worried because they do not have the material means which to carry out an act of mercy. Yet spiritual mercy, which requires neither permissions nor storehouses, is much more meritorious and is in within the grasp of every soul. If a soul does not exercise mercy somehow or other, it will not obtain my mercy on the day of judgment. Oh, if only souls knew how to gather eternal treasure for themselves, they would not be judged, for they would forestall my judgment with their mercy. Diary 13, 17. Oh, my. I'm totally counting on this as my ticket. Okay, this this is this is the only way I'm going to make it. I when the Lord pulls out my rap sheet, I'm just going to pray he burns it. And the only way he's going to burn it is if he's going to be able to say that you were merciful. And now that's not false mercy, not false ecumenism. We'll talk about that, but true mercy. Now, even being sick or homebound is not a reason that we can't do this because it doesn't necessarily involve physical labor. Spiritual works of mercy don't necessarily. Financial status, same thing. It isn't a valid excuse from performing spiritual works of mercy because it doesn't have any cost. Well, at least monetary. Maybe we might think, well, when I make it big, I'll get back, I'll give back. When I win the lottery, I'll give back. Uh-uh. We give back now 
even though we don't have material goods necessarily. We don't need to be healthy or wealthy, surprisingly, to make a difference in the world. And in fact, if you've got suffering, you've got the most valuable storehouse that Jesus was talking about. You got suffering piled up, emotional, physical, spiritual suffering piled up. You've got an amazing arsenal of spiritual weapons to be able to fire at the evil one to be able to offer up. Those are the most powerful things in the world. When I go to the nursing homes and, and oh, God bless these people. But when they ask me that I'm not providing any good to society anymore, I'm just a drain on my family financially or on these beautiful staff members. Father, what's the, the teaching on euthanasia or teaching on, 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 on mercy killing? There's no such thing as mercy killing because you can offer up that suffering to be able to be more powerful, as I always say, than an atomic bomb. And so this is what we're here to talk about today. If we wait for times to be optimal, where I have more money or I have more time, you're never going to do it. We'll never do a work of mercy. The Lord calls us now. So let's look at our next slide, comparing the works of mercy. Let's you remember our corporal works of mercy from two weeks ago. Feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit the imprisoned, shelter the homeless, visit the sick and bury the dead. Okay, if you'd like to see those but missed them, they're up on our YouTube channel. Again, I did that talk two weeks ago. Now off to the right, look at the uh, spiritual works of mercy. Last time was corporal, meaning the body. Today we're talking about the spiritual meaning of the spirit. They are instruct the ignorant, counsel the doubtful. Ah, here's everybody's favorite. Admonish the sinner, comfort the sorrowful, bear wrongs patiently, forgive all injuries and pray for the living and the dead. All right, this is what we're gonna talk about today. You know, when I was over to Fatima, I was over Fatima twice in my life we went over there in Portugal to the home, and I want to show this next slide. Blessed Alexandrina. If you haven't heard about her, she is amazing. Alexandrina Maria da Costa. She lived in Portugal in the early 20th century. She shows we don't have to have a lot of material things or physical means or even physical abilities to be devoted to mercy. She, as a child survived a severe infection. And in fact, she had chronic pain for years. And as a teenager, she was trying to avoid being raped by some intruders. And she jumped out of the window, second story window. And she was paralyzed in the process. And the injuries confined her to the bed for 30 years. Now, she was sick, she had no money. But she started to pray for her healing. Isn't that the natural thing we would always do? I mean, even Jesus prayed for the cup to pass him by in the garden, right? But then what did he say? Not my will be done, Lord, your will be done. So what happened to Blessed Alexandrina is she started to pray for her healing. And then she realized she discerned that her vocation was to be a suffering servant. Is yours too? Pray, ask the Lord, ask him to take it away. That's a good thing. Pray for healing, pray for the relief of pain. Pray for that. That's a good thing that shows trust in God. But if he doesn't necessarily allow it right now to be taken away, because I promise you it will be, that's what eternity is. 
But if he allows it to remain with you in the time being, you are called possibly to be a suffering servant. Like little Audrey, who is here in Massachusetts. Uh, another story, we'll talk about it another time. So she offered all that up, and it is documented <clears throat> that in addition to all the physical suffering, she lived only off the Eucharist for 30 years. They actually have that documented in the hospital. She was monitored. She never consumed a bit of food other than the Eucharist for 30 years. How come they're not doing newscasts on that? How come they're not going back? Instead, we got to be talking about our founding fathers that uh, at the time did something stupid. Well, it was at the context of the time. We don't understand things now the same way, and they didn't have knowledge of things that we do now today. But we're focused on that of the past. Why aren't we focused on something like Blessed Alexandrina? And so she offered that up, and it was documented. Then... I, say, I, I like to say, if she could be raised to the honors of the altar, she's blessed, living most of her life in bed, if she could do it, wouldn't it be possible for us to do it and become holy? We have probably, most of us, not all of us, you might be watching us from your bedside, but most of us have more opportunity because we are physically able than blessed Alexandrina. Amazing. Her example teaches us that being merciful has far more to do with attitude than aptitude. Far more to do with attitude than ability. She had none. She couldn't even get up. Yet look what she did. All right, let's take another example. Our classical, our beloved St. Faustina. Let's look at your next slide. There she is. God bless St. Faustina. She didn't have much to give regarding any material things either. And she was often sick. In addition, she was poorly educated, three years. She worked menial jobs. She was a portress, which means all she did was open the door, a gardener and a cook. That's all St. Faustina was, but it was a lot. In fact, the Lord named her the Secretary of Divine Mercy, not because she was educated, but because she took advantage of the most Precious thing, he told her. You know what Sister Faustina did? People think she's the Secretary of Divine Mercy because she wrote the Bible, or the Bible, <laughs> the diary. You know why Jesus told he picked her for the, uh, the Secretary of Divine Mercy? It's not necessarily because she was a secretary, that's true, but he told her it was because she did the spiritual works of mercy. That's why you too can be an apostle through the spiritual works of mercy. We can put it into practice anytime. Sometimes, yeah, the opportunity has to come, but we can. Chances will vary, but as long as we have the right attitude, we can make up for, God can make up for our failures. Now, I want to show you a quick video. It's three minutes, and it tells you what the corporal and the spiritual works of mercy are. And um, I think it's very powerful. So take a watch at this video for three minutes, and as I said, corporal, he's going to show you what the spiritual works of mercy are. So take a quick look. So what is the key to the spiritual works of mercy? I would suggest that there are two elements which we need to consider. First, we can take some instruction from Aristotle, who spoke about virtues as a golden mean between two extremes. Thus, for example, the soldier is said to be truly brave when he does not give way to cowardice and flee the battle, 
but also when he does not foolishly stay when the situation is hopeless. This takes both courage and good judgment in assessing every situation. And thus the spiritual works of mercy also need to meet this standard of the golden mean. Think, for example, of something that all of us might say is unabashedly good, being kind to another person. Let us say being kind to a senior with a walker. If I get up and do everything for this person, my kindness might be so smothering that the other person feels helpless rather than assisted. Conversely, if I do nothing for this senior, then there is no kindness. Still, how does one find the golden mean? Well, in this case, I would say very simply by asking. I might say that I am ready to help, but I do not want to take over what the senior can do herself. Then we are both on the same page, and hopefully my efforts to help will be genuinely appreciated. Thus, to return to my first example of admonishing the sinner, the golden mean would suggest that I avoid both extremes of viciously condemning the sinner on the one hand or ignoring the sin on the other. Any of you who have had to admonish somebody for doing something wrong is probably aware of how delicate it can be to deal with the issue while respecting the other person. And of course, one has to be very wary of being self-righteous in pointing out another's faults while ignoring our own. And so this brings us to the second key to the spiritual works of mercy, which is to realize that they encompass anything and everything that we do that is good to and for others. St. Paul is wonderful in his epistles as he challenges Christians to imitate Christ by being, quote, gentle, compassionate, forgiving, kind, merciful, respectful, and so on. He reminds us in his first letter to the Corinthians, quotes, that love is never rude or boastful or jealous. It is always patient and kind, always ready to make allowances, to trust, to hope, and to endure whatever comes. In a profound sense, God has entrusted to us the little things, the daily opportunities to be kind and gentle with one another, so that our world will feel the healing presence of God's love. St. Paul is clear that these daily actions of caring for one another are themselves acts of love imitating our Father in heaven. And one could add to St. Paul's lists any number of good actions. Listening attentively, stopping gossip in its tracks, providing encouragement to the discouraged, affirming the good in people, taking time for children. The list goes on and on. Well, thank you. That's a great little summary of what the spiritual works of mercy are. Now we're going to dive into each of them, give you a little description, and wake us up to what we need to be doing on a regular basis. All right, let's start. Let's look at our next slide with instructing the ignorant or teaching the ignorant. All right, I'm going to use some of the stuff that I found from Dr. Robert Stackpole, Chris Sparks, who's one of the theologians that works with us. They had some really good insight on this. So I took what I had from seminary, added it to what they have. And I think this is a good summary for what these each of them are. Now, 
What does it mean to teach the ignorant? It doesn't mean we're insulting them, that they're stupid people. It just means we're teaching them that they don't necessarily know the teachings of the church or of Christ yet. It means being the primary source of religious education and formation. And do you know primarily to who? Do you know who your first responsibility is to be a teacher? Your children. Your children. Some Catholics may be surprised to learn that it's not the local church or the CCD program, even though those can be detrimental. <laughs> Man, if your churches are teaching some of that crazy stuff, whew, try to get involved and correct it. But the catechism states that parents have the first responsibility for the education of their children. That's 2223. And in 2225, it says parents have the responsibility and privilege of evangelizing their children. Now, I know you're probably saying to me, Father, but my children won't listen. Yeah. Once they become adults, if you've done all you could do when they were children and they still turn away as adults, please don't beat yourself up over this. Just pray for them. Okay? Pray for them. God will do amazing things, even at the moment of their death, from seeds you planted, even if you don't see it in this lifetime. Now, for example, it includes reading to your children and grandchildren, Bible stories, stories of the saints. The lives of the saints are amazing, as well as Christian books or even stories like the Chronicles of Narnia, right, with C.S. Lewis. It means providing them with good tools. Now it's hard today weeding out all the garbage that comes into our homes from the TV and the Internet. Oh, man. This is cultural junk. Um, you, know, see, you know, Mother Angelica, I was just down at EWTN. We were filming this week. And we got a new program coming on EWTN in September every Wednesday night at 6.30. So please tune in. But they told me that Mother Angelica used to call TV the devil's tabernacle. And they said, well, Mother, you're on TV. <laughs> she goes, we're trying to purify it. She's right. So the devil's tabernacle, and who was that saint? And, you know, be careful of the internet. That can even be worse. But was it Elizabeth Ann Seton um, that said that she had a vision that every American home would have a little black box, and that was the portal to hell? I don't know if it's the cell phone, the TV, your internet router, but be careful. These things are dangerous. And so and little, uh, Elizabeth Ann Seton said, there's a little black box in all homes by which Satan enters the home. Ooh, be careful. It means praying together as a family, like the rosary or the chaplet. All right. We do not have to turn our homes into monasteries or convents. That's not what we're saying you have to do. But do as St. Paul said, do not be conformed to this world be transformed by the renewal of your mind, Romans 2.12. Now, beyond our homes, because your homes isn't the only place, the need for instruction in the true faith is equally urgent. How? The best way to share your Catholic faith with, you know, non-Catholics or even Catholics who don't know it is in your natural friendship. Just by being there with them as a natural friend, give your friends that good example. 
by the way they see you love your faith. You know, I, what is it about him that, 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 that it resonates? I want some of that. It's his faith or her faith. All right. Most non-Catholics and even non-practicing Catholics are so full of misinformation about what our church actually teaches and the role of the church throughout history. It's a surprising, it's shocking. This is where I'm so thankful to God for our new ministry online because we get so many non-Catholics and non-practicing Catholics. I answered just a bunch this morning that says, I'm so glad I left the Catholic church because the worship of Mary is Satanism. I have to clarify that as best I can. So you want to know of some good books? I, I took what I feel are some of the five best books. Let's put up the slide. You want to start with a book that really will help you to teach the faith and know your faith. There's five of them. So they're on your screen. The Fundamentals of the Faith by Pre Peter Kreft. You always know, I always point to him. Theology for Beginners by F.J. Sheed. Catholic and Christian by Alan Shrek. Um, Steubenville type guy. Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. In these books, you're not going to hear this craziness. You're not going to hear all this fallacy. You're going to hear the truth. Pick up one of those books. Those are ones that are going to help you. All right. As St. Peter taught us, always be prepared to make a defense of your faith to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. 1 Peter 3.15. You know, people say that we Catholics worship Mary. We worship the saints. We uh, talk to the dead. We have idols. The Eucharist is cannibalism. Oh my, I spend hours a day trying to explain these things, just hoping one seed will germinate. One will stick. You know, ironically, this comes from many ex-Catholics because they don't understand what our faith teaches. This comes from people who actually, you know, in one sense, to be all fair, a lot of the people who write to me think they're correcting the ignorant. Now I'm ignorant on a lot of things, but I hope our faith isn't one of them. So the people, God bless them, I, I gotta commend them. They're, they're writing to me because they think they're instructing the ignorant, that we Catholics are ignorant, that we need to be instructed. Well, that's where we have to step up and know our faith so that we can answer, as Peter just said, be prepared to make a defense. This is what this whole series is about. Know your faith so you can love your faith and defend your faith. Ironically, like I said, this comes from people who think they're helping us. And, and God bless them. I, I think that's wonderful. The problem is those accusations are wrong. If you say we worship Mary, that we worship the saints, that we have idols and Eucharist is cannibalism, I'm sorry, you're wrong. But we have to do it in love, as Peter said, in reverence. We have to learn it and then explain it. Let's take a look at my next slide. Here's a couple classic examples. Scott Hahn, Stephen Ray, Deacon Alex Jones, and Tim Staples. Scott Hahn and Steve Ray are good friends of mine. I, I admire them, but you know what? Every, what's in common with all four of those guys? They were all non-Catholics. Non, they were all Protestants that set out to disprove the Catholic faith. They all set, a, set out to prove why the Catholic faith is false, and they all became Catholic. 
It's a beautiful story on all of them. They didn't know that the church has the fullness of the truth. Remember that famous expression that I talk about all the time from Bishop Fulton Sheen? Millions of people hate what they think is the Catholic Church. Very few, if any, hate what is actually the Catholic Church because they don't know. So many of the reasons why people are not Catholic or why they oppose the faith or leave the faith is based on misunderstanding. I want to do a whole series on the Inquisition. I've already did the Crusades. I want to do the Inquisition. I want to do Galileo. These are what everybody always points to with Catholics. That's, that's why I'm not Catholic. Well, you need to know what happened because then you, you'll probably become Catholic. And so this is the thing. Now, it doesn't mean we haven't made mistakes. I'm not going to be up here and say that now. Uh, some of our bishops are making some gigantic mistakes right now, and we got to correct that. Amanish a sinner's coming up. <laughs> Sometimes there's a big thing, even lying about our faith. Others leave because the faith is as hard as this piece of wood or the wood of the cross. That's another reason people leave the Catholic faith is because it's as hard as the wood of the cross. I don't want to do that. Well, Jesus didn't promise us a life of comfort. That's coming up in eternity. He promised you a cross in this world so that you would have resurrection in the next. There are, order, <clears throat> there are others who have been hurt by Catholics and by Catholic leadership, failures of our leadership. There's no question. And that's a whole other topic I'm going to do at another time. I'm not denying that. But as you've heard me say a hundred times, we don't leave Jesus because of Judas. When Judas betrayed Jesus, did the 12 apostles throw in the towel and leave? No, I see beautiful people, especially here in our own diocese, seeing some crazy stuff going on in our church. Instead of throwing in the towel and leaving, when they see all these Judases, they're, they're, they're picking it up. I got one of them right here and his wife here in the, in, the, in the chapel today. They're picking it up by the bootstrap and saying, no, we're not going to sit by and watch our church fall apart. We're going to do something about it. That's what the calling is. That's a work of mercy. That's a spiritual work of mercy called instruct the ignorant. We, the apostles didn't throw in the towel. They stood up. And so we are called to receive the sacraments, perform works of mercy, and do God's will. If you remember nothing else of this talk, if you're falling asleep, wake up for that one point. Receive the sacraments, perform works of mercy, and do God's will. Guided by God's revelation and strengthened by his grace through sacred scripture and tradition and the church, we can become holy. And those of us who have been blessed with the faith are obligated to share it. That's what instruct the ignorant means. Not stupid people. It means those who don't know the faith like we do. You want to learn the faith more? That's why we're producing these videos. God bless you. Share it. You know the word mass? What does the word mass come from? We celebrate mass every day. What does mass come from? Mass comes from the word dismissal. Dismiss all. Missile, the mass, and from where we get the word mission. Dismissal, go out on a mission. In fact, the Latin, at the very end of the mass, the priest says in Latin, ite misse est. You know what that means? The very last words of the mass in Latin, go. She, the church, is sending you out. That's it. The parable of the talents, Jesus tells us to go share our gifts. 
Make sure that we aren't the ones, however, this is important. First, make sure though, that you aren't the one who needs instructing before you attempt to go out and instruct others because we need to learn our faith. You know, everybody hates a know-it-all. There's no question about it. You know, um, even in my office, I get corrected all the time. When I say, no, 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 we wanna do it this way. They're like, Father, don't you remember you did that last year and it bombed? Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> so nobody wants to know it all, all right? But everyone loves the person who knows what to do when things get tough. Everybody wants a leader. Everybody wants, when the times get tough, somebody who has a clue on what to do. That's what we're called, which is get going. That's what we're called here. Be merciful. Go deeper in your faith. Pray. Read about it. Live it. That's why our show on EWTN is going to be called Living Divine Mercy. And so in doing, you will be able to begin to share your faith with the whole world. Beautiful. That's instruct the ignorant. Now, my favorite, admonish the sinner. Now, it's not my favorite because I want to point the finger and be self-righteous. I hate doing that. It's my favorite because it's what brings people to Christ. Because they don't know. This is powerful. This work of mercy is called tough love. It's one of the hardest to practice in our Western world today. Why? Because we live in the cancel culture. All right. It's really cultural relativism. I have my truth. You have your truth. Don't tell me your truth. I want my truth. You be happy. I be happy. Kumbaya. Eh. No, we can't have 40,000 different truths. There is no way there's one truth, not 40,000. We just, well, Father, we just, we, we just got to accept all faiths. No, we live harmony in harmony with people of all faith, but you don't take your faith at the, at, at the, in the name of false ecumenism and say, you know what? Okay, you're right. Just for the sake of false ecumenism, Mary really doesn't have an important role in salvation history. No, we really don't need to go to a priest to confess our sins. So you know what? Look, we'll give that part up. Let's meet together and worship. We'll give that part up. You can't give up the truth. You can't do it. All right. As such, people will say, I have my own set of values. You have your own set of values. We are e all free to practice it as long as it doesn't offend anybody. Oh, yeah? You want to practice your own thing as long as it doesn't offend anybody? Well, in our culture today, you don't have to worry about the false truth offending people. You have to worry about the false truth killing people. It's called abortion. It's called euthanasia. It's called falsely wrapped up mercy killing. Mercy for the mother by killing the baby. Mercy for the elderly so that they don't suffer. This is false. And in the name of false ecumenism, we cannot accept that. That's what's going wrong in our culture today. Well, unless the others in question um, are not offended, we're okay. No. And the only thing that seems to me that to me that they don't worry about offending is the unborn child and the elderly. They don't bother offending them, they kill them. And so this is the lie of our society. You know, this whole woke, it's not woke, it's called wake, wake up. 
So when I see all this woke, 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 I'm like, no, wake, 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 wake up. Because we're on a dangerous side if we believe that this is the answer. <sighs> wake up. The truth hurts sometimes. We get that. If you really want to be unpopular, <laughs> you really want to be like Jesus, admonish someone for swearing in public. I just did that the other day at the airport line. Some guy was walking through the line, four-letter words, shouting four-letter words. And I'm there in a collar thinking, you know, even 20, 30 years ago, even knowing, not knowing who the person was, just out of respect for somebody who is a preacher or a minister, they probably wouldn't have done that. And this guy's looking at me, and he looked right at me. I'm, I, and he's spewing one four-letter word after another. And I just smiled, looked at him, and I made the sign of the cross. <laughs> and he kind of stopped. And I'm just like, I didn't have to say a word. Because that was admonishing the sinner. I'm not trying to claim that I'm not the sinner. I'm the biggest of the sinner, the most broken of tools that God uses. But my goodness, we still have to help those. It's love to help those who are on the wrong path. So you want to be unpopular? Admonish somebody swearing in public. Correct somebody wearing provocative clothes. You know, I, I do parish missions. You know, I, I go to give Holy Communion. I'm sorry, I'm still a man. And some of these people come up like these ladies are ready to go swimming at the beach. I'm like, please, you know, I, I've tried to help them understand at the end of Mass. You know, Mother Angelica down EWT, and they have a box of clothes there. They won't let you into the shrine unless you put on a pair of pants and a shirt. No bikini tops. So you want to be unpopular? Correct somebody talking loudly in church. These are things that we don't even realize. I do it all the time. I don't even realize I'm doing it. And when somebody corrects me, I'm like, thank you. All right, try. Try today objecting to pornography. Try explaining to a gay friend that his or her lifestyle is unnatural and that he or she will never find true fulfillment, peace, or healing but through Jesus Christ. See what it gets you. It'll get you ridicule, accusation, bigot, discriminatory, but you're Christ-like. You're doing the work of Jesus. Try engaging in nonviolent protests, especially outside an abortion clinic. When I was out in the Pacific Northwest, I was again at a parish mission and I went to pray at the abortion clinic. Northwest, pray for the Pacific Northwest, very liberal. There was nobody there. So I'm there praying at the abortion clinic and all of a sudden this pickup truck goes roaring by and a beer bottle whizzed by my head literally scrape what little bit of hair I have, and they threw a beer bottle at me. Full bore throwing because I was praying the rosary in my clerics outside the abortion clinic. You know, that to me is a real wake-up call. A real wake-up call that we are going to be despised. We are going to be hated. But didn't Jesus say they hated me first? They hated me first. They will hate you too. And so we have to wake up. We have to wake up. All right, now, try doing this. The result, no matter how gentle or compassionate you are, you will be an intolerant bigot. The world says as long as it feels good and it doesn't offend anybody, do it. 
No, this is totally wrong. You know, it is politically incorrect to tell others that they're not okay. It's politically incorrect. You're harming yourself. You're going down the wrong road. They don't want to hear it, but you'll be Christ-like. Transgenders, you know, they have the highest rate of infidelity, if you can call it that, because it's not the right relationship anyway. But they also have some of the highest suicide rates. It's not fulfilling. It's not what they want. And I'm not admonishing in a negative way, a self-righteous way, a critical way. I'm admonishing as best I can. Out of I love you, I don't want to see you go down the wrong road. I don't want to see that. Please don't take, I know I'm going to get many letters out of this. I am not trying to point a finger. I could list you six million. I could do a whole talk just on my sins. <laughs> I could do an entire series just on my sins. I am not pointing the finger saying I am without sin. I am not pointing the finger saying I am self-righteous. I am not pointing the finger saying you are evil and you're going to hell. All I'm doing is saying only but through Christ are we going to find the answers. Wow. To be loved to many people means to be affirmed in everything they do. Everything. They want to do it. They want you to affirm them in it. That's what our culture is telling us today. We have to affirm every single person who's living an immoral lifestyle now. Sorry, we can't do it. They want us to affirm everything they want to do or are doing, and it does not cause anyone bodily harm, again, except children or elderly. Yet it is to people like this that we are called to speak the truth in love. Yes, as St. Paul told us to do. Father Kaz is a master at this. I pray someday I can be like him. Because Father Kaz is the perfect example. He never tells you it's okay. But he does it with such a big smile of love that you feel like he's your dad. That's beautiful. So do it in a way that it, it affirms their human dignity. Yes. But is not letting them not know the truth. The challenge is to have them fulfill their potential. All right, it's always gotta be done in love. Remember, love the sinner, hate the sin. All right, we must. I always laugh that this is gonna be one of my new books and my staff always shakes their head at me. Catholicism, we must be intolerant and judgmental. <laughs> you think that'll be a bestseller? So we must be intolerant and judgmental, not of the person, but of the actions contrary to the will of God. We can't accept that. I always tell the story of the woman who felt terrible because her daughter disowned her because she wouldn't drive her daughter to the abortion clinic and pay for her abortion. She said, my daughter says I'm judgmental and I'm intolerant. No, you love your daughter, don't you? Yes, very much. You don't want to see her be self-destructing, do you? No. You don't want to see her lose her soul? No. And you're not being bad. You're being intolerant and judgmental of things contrary to the will of God so that it helps that person. That's admonish the sinner. You know, St. Faustina discerned the call of the Holy Spirit to practice tough love. 
Listen to St. Faustina. She actually became known in her religious community for her boldness in admonishing even the older and more educated nuns. She took them to task for their sins. And you know what she went after them for? Their malicious gossip. And grudgingly, the sisters respected her for it. Wow, powerful. All right, being on the street in an abortion clinic, yes, in the right way can be a good thing and full of grace, but please, admonishing isn't standing there with a sign screaming at the people that they're going to hell. That's also not going to work. That's not going to work. Most hate this. You must love the sinner before you can safely admonish them. All right, love them so much that they know it. You know, we Catholics are often accused when we, and I used to do that. When I first went to the abortion clinics as a postulant, I was doing it too. I was yelling at the people, you go into hell. You know, I mean, it's like, I, I, didn't, I didn't say it like that, but I just said, you're putting your soul in jeopardy, which, which is true, but I wasn't doing it in love. We got to do it in love. Most of the people will accuse us Catholics of saying, you're all about love and life but you care more about the baby than me, the mother. We can never let that be thought that way. We care about the baby and the mother. Some Catholics we come across as only caring about the baby. And we don't care about what happens to the mother. Just don't go in. I don't care what happens to you otherwise. Go ahead, go, 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 but just don't go in there. That's not what we want to do. They must encounter Jesus's love through you, even as you share with them the truth of God. Yes, God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Well, Father, Jesus loves me just as I am. I'm living a decrepit lifestyle. I'm not following the church. I'm not going to the mass, uh, but Jesus loves me. Yes, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Remember, love does not take delight in having someone to browbeat, right? It doesn't. In having someone to denounce, we see a lot of that today. Our love for the other person has to take priority over denouncing them, even their actions. What they have done is wrong, yes, but we have to show them in love. I can't emphasize that enough. All right, let's look at our next slide, okay? Um, oh, I'm sorry. We, I think we missed the slide that said admonish the sinner, so there it is. <laughs> now, the next slide I want to show is the prodigal son. That story, I'm going to do, an, you can do an entire Saturday talk on the prodigal son. Amazing. But when the prodigal son returned to his father's house, the father, what did the father do? He didn't first ask him what he had done with his inheritance. He first, no, the father first loved him. The father embraced him, the father welcomed him, and the father provided for him. But I can bet you the next day there was a discussion. <laughs> so a good father is not going to let it go by without addressing it, but first love. All right, first love. Now, one other important point. Admonish the sinner, yes, but let's start with ourselves. Very important. You cannot give what you don't have. If you are spiritually dead, you're not able to help. Okay, next one. Those are my two longest ones. Counsel the doubtful is our next one. Third, Counsel the doubtful. All right. When you are not sure in your life what action to take, you're struggling with a decision. Do I get married? Do I join the priesthood? Do I take this job in California? Do I not? When you are not sure what action to take, 
what a huge gift. What a huge gift it is when you find someone who actually takes the time to listen to you, who really lets you pour out your heart and listens to everything in your situation and then takes the situation to prayer before dishing out a whole ton of advice to you. So many of us, myself included, are willing to just throw out advice without sitting down and really going through detail to detail. That's what spiritual direction is. That's what a good spiritual director does. Plenty of people are quick to hand out a lot of ill-conceived advice, but the best ones are our first listen. Really listen to you and the Holy Spirit before they speak. All right, you can become that person for others if you listen to the Holy Spirit. Get a good spiritual director, help you do that. Read the New Testament every day. Quiet adoration, that's when the Lord speaks. He can't always, you can't hear the Lord if you're doing all the talking. That's why I set aside two holy hours a day where I just be quiet. The rest of the day, I don't close my mouth and everybody yells at me. But there are two hours of the day, I shut my mouth. The two hours of the day, I'm before the Blessed Sacrament. Powerful stuff. So spend quiet time in prayer. We can find a good example again in Faustina. Faustina has the answer to everything. In her religious community, she was a good listener. She, you know what her nickname was? Does anybody here, if you know it, type it. I would love to see if anybody knows this. Do you know what Sister Faustina, St. Faustina's nickname was? The Dump. That was St. Faustina's nickname from her fellow sisters because they were always dumping their problems on her. Unbelievable. And it's talked about in Diary 871, how the sisters talk about we just piled our problems on Sister Faustina. She learned the art of listening to the Holy Spirit in prayer first and from her spiritual director second, and then she could advise. So if you're advising others, listen to the Holy Spirit, listen to your spiritual director, then advise. This is counsel the doubtful. Why do we need that today? Because doubt is very popular today, especially in our colleges. Um, it's sometimes called a sign of maturity. I don't believe in that fairy tale stuff called faith. You know, it's funny because we call the dark ages and the, in, the, the enlightenment, right? In our history, right? The history of mankind, we call the dark ages, a time where it was dark and man was in the dark and the enlightenment as this bright light went on. You know, it's actually the opposite. In the Dark Ages were the time of the Scholastics, Thomas Aquinas, where they turned to God. They, they asked, asked God to help them. Everybody was of faith. The Dark Ages were really the Light Ages. It was in the Enlightenment that man decided he didn't need God, and now he does nothing but doubt the existence of God. It's actually completely reversed. The Dark Ages were the Light, and the Enlightenment is the Dark. Because man thinks he's God. That's not the answer. All right, we live in a civilization that thinks the only way to know anything is through scientific method. That's good. The church has always supported science. Proof is only, okay, here's what we're being told, our kids, that proof is only observation through your physical senses. The problem with that is that you cannot touch love and you cannot touch truth. You can't put it under a microscope. That's why you need both, but you can't touch them. It's, it's powerful. 
That's why Father Kaz is always people write, say, Father Kaz is love. And with you, Father Chris, we get the truth. Well, I'm like, you need both. Lord, help me to become more in love. Father Kaz, I know, has the truth, but we need both. There are more important realities than anything we can weigh or measure with instruments. We can counsel the doubtful by letting them know that faith is real. Not just science, but faith. It will bring fulfillment. It's because it is believing without seeing. And Jesus talks about this all the time in the scriptures. None of this is really suited to being weighed or measured or tested in a lab. So remind yourselves all the time of the evidence for the truth of the faith. Don't believe it? Watch our talk on Eucharistic miracles. You want to see some science that proves the faith? There you go. All right, fourth, comfort the sorrowful. So next slide, comfort the sorrowful. We just talked about the doubtful. Those are people who don't believe. Now, what's interesting about them, atheists, non-Catholics, they don't believe. But you know what? No matter how loudly they protest against God or the faith or the church, it always seems what they, when they lose someone they love who dies, they welcome prayer. I've never seen anybody who didn't welcome prayer for a deceased loved one, even an atheist. This is God working in the heart. Chris Sparks says that the messages of, uh, that he, he, he sends out on Facebook to his, pro, uh, his group or whatever, I don't know, I don't use Facebook, but he says he sends messages out to some pro-choice people, atheists, during their tragedies. And he says, may I pray for you? And they say, absolutely. He says, he's never been declined prayer. We need to pray for them, no matter who they are. I was really surprised in my talk on Islam, people who attacked that talk never watched the talk because boy, did I lay out the errors of Islam, and there are many. But I said, we have to pray for them. They're still humans and we want them to come to Christ through Mary. No matter who they are, no matter what error they are in, we want them saved. And so this is powerful. People know that when a religious gesture is meant from the heart, it doesn't matter if they're atheistic or not, they will take it. Praying for their dead loved ones is always accepted, it seems. So sometimes the best way to perform this spiritual work of mercy, comfort the sorrowful, is through a corporal work of mercy. When somebody has lost a loved one, I've known people who said their neighbor brought them over dinner. Their, 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 their friends brought them over um, clean clothes or did their laundry. That's a beautiful. To do this comfort, the spiritual work of mercy of comfort the sorrowful sometimes involves the corporal work of mercy. Other times, comforting the sorrow can be as simply as just being present to them, just listening to them. All right? Make it plain to them that they're not alone. They have a friend. You're there. And that there are times when nothing that we can say or do will make a difference, but just being there. You can break through. You can help be a comfort in their sorrow. If someone needs more than you can give, don't beat yourself up. Father, I didn't even know what to say to him. That's okay. Just be there with them. In the hospital, when people are unconscious, I don't leave because they can't talk to me or I can't talk to them. I'm just present to them. God has given you certain abilities, but he's left you not having certain abilities. <clears throat> every one of us here, every one of you watching has certain abilities and you do not have certain abilities. 
It's just the way it is. I saw this one beautiful woman sing to a mother of a lost child at the hospital. Do you think if I tried singing to that woman at the hospital, that would put her into more mourning? Because I don't have that gift. So we don't have to always beat ourselves up that we don't have certain gifts. Use what God gives you. And if nothing else, just be with them. Do what you can, even if it seems insufficient. Learn to discern how to help that person. You know, Eric Maul, we talked about him before. He says what means more to people than their depression and sorrow is simply getting to know their name. Not feeding them, not getting them a drink, although that's needed. That's a corporal work of mercy. He says what helps them the most in their depression is just, how are you? What's your name? For those who are sorrowful from a loss, we can see that your presence means more than anything. All right, fifth out of the seven, be patient with those in error. Let's look at our next slide. Bear wrongs patiently. This is also a tough one. This one's tough. Because in God's merciful love, we ought to share the Catholic faith with those who are far from the Catholic faith or far from God himself. On the other hand, we must be patient with the pace God is working with them. Sometimes God takes an entire lifetime with somebody. We can't expect it overnight. God's working slowly. Our job is to simply sow seeds of faith by example, presence being with them, having those seeds sowed in their heart and in their minds of those who are in error. Be patient with those in error. That's the name of this, this, this um, work of mercy. But change has to come on God's time, not ours. Maybe not even in this life, all right? Even if we never see the fruit of our efforts, God will do his part to water their, their hearts with grace and conversion of seeds that we helped plant. Powerful. When and if they are ready to receive it. You know, St. Faustina, um, you've been hearing me refer to her all the time. We have her diary here somewhere. Um, oh, geez. I was going to read the diary, but I can't. In the diary, 1698, Jesus talks about sometimes his grace and mercy doesn't touch the sinner to the moment of their death. And so all those seeds you planted, you might be thinking, well, gee, there's a lot of wasted prayer time when actually those seeds are being planted and God germinates it at the moment of their death, when it looks like everything's lost, Jesus said, uh-uh, there I am. And the soul doesn't even respond. But inner in the soul, I'm at work and the soul is saying yes to me. You can have hope. That was what my first book, After Suicide, was all about. Having that hope. So we pray for them. You know, God's own time, not ours. Until then, we are just to be patient with those in error to share the truth with them as best we can. You know, it's funny because you, you hear me on my video sometimes talk about cameraman Giuseppe. We were in here one day and I was having oh, a long day. I was exhausted. I was hungry. And we were trying to film a video and I'm doing it without a script. I'm just going from the heart. And I kept messing up and messing up and messing up. And I'm like, I'm never going to get this. And I stopped and I said a prayer. <sighs> took a deep breath and I'm going to be late for prayer. And I'm like, okay, we have to get it this time. And we got it. 
And I went through it and I finally said it the way I wanted to say. I finally felt I portray or I was able to get into words what I wanted to say. And I finally did it. I went through one take and Giuseppe says, Father, we're going to have to redo it. And I said, why? He goes, I forgot to push record. <laughs> and you know the funny part? As I was trying to take a breath for what I was going to say to him, cameraman Giuseppe said, Father, have mercy on me. And I couldn't utter a word. We laugh about it to this day. I literally could not. God grabbed me by the vocal cords because Giuseppe said, have mercy on me. And I couldn't say a word because I was going to be like, what? You know, and man, did I learn a lesson. That's how God works. Be patient with these, those in error. I think it's a beautiful story. All right. Now, there's so much here that I'm going to try to cut it, uh, cut it down. Uh, but pray for them. Trusting that God's mercy, because look at how God is patient with us, will end up working. Look how patient God is when we're wrong. In fact, the whole Bible is packed full of examples of God's generosity with those in error. All right, why does God send the prophet Jonah to Nineveh? They were living in extreme error, giving them warning after warning and allowing them to repent because he's merciful and patient. Why does God have such patience with the Jews? The Jews, the people in error, rejecting the Messiah, yet he's infinitely merciful with them. What about us Catholics? We have the fullness of the truth, yet we're so stupid in some of our decisions and in our church and the way that we're doing things, and yet God is infinitely patient with us. God is love and mercy itself. He is the father in the parable of the prodigal son, welcoming us back, welcoming his son back. That's why the confession is called the, the sacrament of reconciliation, not just forgiveness. He forgives, but then he welcomes you back. So let us be like him in divine patience with the error of others. And be merciful to those who make errors around us, because I guarantee you, we make errors. So many of these works of mercy come with, well, here's, here's what's funny. All of these that I've read to you so far, when you do them, you have an emotional reward. Not this one. <laughs> it's one of the hardest ones, because being patient with somebody who's in error and demands that you see things their way and they're going to correct you when you know that the faith of the truth is true and they don't see it. But we be patient, right? It demands the patience of a saint. It really does. Why? Because you're being called to be patient with the impatient. You're being called to welcome those who are wrong. You're being called to those who are certain that they're right, you're wrong, and that they want to get you out of the way but you love them. You have patience. You know, online comments all the time like that. I have to ask the Lord for patience because after sometimes 15 or 20 going back and forth, I just realize they're just here to hate and, and I'm not doing well in my response. And so we have to do very, very important with patience and love. All right. Truly Christians are called to endure suffering. And this is a good example. It's emotional suffering. So remember, we are those who often make the demands of those of others to be patient with us. And so we be patient with them. All right. Sixth, got one more to go after this. Forgive. Woo. If I can recommend you do nothing else in this lifetime, 
obviously worship God and, 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 and do God's will. But the biggest one in doing God's will is forgiving others. Wow. I, that, this one I can't emphasize enough. In Romans 12, 19, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, not you. All right. Let him take care of it. If there's any vengeance that needs to be dished out in this life or the next, the only one qualified to do it is God. He alone knows their heart. He alone knows it. Now, that means stopping ourselves from being petty, petty vengeance, you know, um, which includes like slander and gossip of those who've hurt us. Um, we are not to curse the darkness. Now listen to this. This is interesting. According to Matthew 5.44, we are not to curse the darkness, but to pray for those in darkness. Wow. That one really made me do a double take. So whatever temporal harm they, someone has done to us, those who are evil, God will deal with. They're in danger of the greatest danger of all, the loss of their soul. You don't have to worry about justice being done. You want to pray for God's mercy. God will sort things out. In the meantime, we have to forgive so we avoid the same fate. However, forgiveness is probably the most misunderstood of all the works of mercy. Forgive. It does not mean, you've heard me say this before, that you let yourself be a victim. It's not weakness, it's meekness. Jesus was not weak, Jesus was meek. You have a duty to protect yourself and your family from harm. You have a duty. We are all children of God, and as a parent, you are to protect your children. You don't let them be victims, whatever that might be. Forgiving our enemies is entirely compatible with self-protection, believe it or not. I had one guy call me, I was driving to the airport, and he says, absolutely nowhere is it Christ-like to defend yourself. The catechism says, as a parent, you are to defend your family, even self-defense physically if it's necessary. This is church teaching. Forgiveness is compatible with having criminals arrested and placed behind bars so that they can't harm other people. Now, forgiveness, though, is also praying for their conversion. Forgiveness is even <clears throat> compatible with using lethal force, all right, by the police or the military. This is why we're saying destroy the police is ridiculous. Sometimes, yes, they've made mistakes. I'm not denying that. But sometimes force has to be used. It's not preferred. It's not what we want. But if somebody's coming at you to kill you and your family and your loved ones, you have the right to defend yourself. So as a last resort, though, all right, in fending off violent criminals, this is Catechism 2263 through 2267. Please, I, I, I'm not making this up. To prevent and block the spread of evil is actually a work of mercy. Not only toward yourself and your loved ones, but society even towards the perpetrators themselves. What, Father? How is stopping and, and doing that to a perpetrator a work of mercy to them, all right? The perpetrators often have little chance of ever coming to repentance unless they see the errors of their ways. This is true. The reality therapy 
by finally seeing the wrong they have done. Many criminals didn't really see it till they met the family of the loved ones they killed. That has brought about conversions. And it's only happened when they were arrested and been given justice. In other words, to love and forgive our enemies doesn't mean to let them trample all over us. What it means is there is, it has to be based again on bringing them to God. When there is no effective way to defend yourself or others from harm, then it may be the time then to take persecution. So if you are unable to defend yourself, if you are unable, then maybe then you say, okay, Lord, maybe you're now giving me the cross of persecution. I'm not saying that we should always fight. There are times and places. Jesus did at the money changer table, but he didn't on the way to the cross. All right, but that, that there's a time and place, but certainly not every time and every place. All right, now, forgiveness, we all know is hard, but it's also one of the most important things you could ever do according to Jesus. Let's look at our next slide. I don't have too many slides left. This is the Vatican to oversee the World Apostolic Congress on Mercy. What is the world? They call it WACOM. Father Seraphim was involved in it. Father Kaz was involved in it. The World Apostolic Congress on Mercy. Now, I want to tell you a quick story. I mentioned this on EWTN. If you saw EWTN, I was on there on Thursday on the homily, and I, I mentioned this story. It was the first time I've ever told this story. But it's the most powerful story I've ever heard of forgiveness. The most powerful, bar none, story I've ever heard about forgiveness. It's a story of Pastora Mira Garcia from Colombia, who spoke at the WACOM in 2014. Let me briefly tell you her story. This is incredible. Her father was murdered when she was just a little girl. At 18, she married and had a child. But when her little child, her daughter, was only two months old, her husband was killed. This was a time in Colombia where there was drug cartels, warring factions. Later, that little girl, after Mira's, um, uh, 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 Pastora's husband was killed, this little girl grew up. When she was 22, her daughter was kidnapped. During nine months of captivity, the mother never ceased to search for her daughter. She kept praying for her. She eventually learned that her daughter now was killed. So think about this. She lost her father. Her husband was killed. Now her daughter was killed. Now Pastora then sought to find the remains of her daughter. This is all going on in Colombia. In her search, she found several bodies. As horrifying as it was, she was looking to have a degree of peace and closure. And she was helping other mothers find the remains of their children. At last, Pastora found her daughter, found the remains, and she buried her. But again, her faith was tested. Right afterwards, her son was kidnapped by a paramilitary group. They held him for weeks of unimaginable suffering and torture, and they finally killed him. 
Can you even imagine what this woman is going through? Losing her father, losing her husband, losing her daughter, now losing her son. They were all killed, not dying by natural causes. They were murdered. Now she found and she buried her daughter. Not long later, they find the remains of her son. She says that despite her pain, she kept her faith and she went on. Now she buried her son. And a week later, she went back to the roadside of where all the bodies were found to pray for her son. Listen to this. She went back to where her son was found dead and she found a man laying there on the road like the Good Samaritan, hurt, laying on the side of the road where these bodies were found. He was gravely injured in the same place where her son had been found. Without hesitation, she took him home. She tended to his wounds and while the man was at her kitchen table and she was attending to his wounds, feeding him, he looked up on the wall and saw a picture of her son. And he said, do you know this man? And she looked at him and he said, we killed him last week. This is the man that killed her son that is sitting at her table that she is taking care of. Whoa. She said she felt her whole world collapsing. She asked the Blessed Virgin Mary to cover her ears as he described what they did to her son. This man at her kitchen table is describing how they tortured and killed her own son. And she said, Mary, please cover my ears. She didn't want to hear it. She said, cover her ears that the words of this man will not let my heart be filled with hate. So she begged Mary to help her forgive those who killed her son. Now, I'm not saying everybody's called to this level because this is beyond forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. Forgiveness does not mean you have to be best friends with somebody who's hurt you or abused you. It does not mean that. Sometimes it's better you split and you never talk to them again. But forgiveness is letting go and saying, I wish you well, I don't wish you harm, but goodbye. Mercy is actually greater than forgiveness because mercy is reconciliation. And this woman actually reconciled with the murder of her son. And so Pastora begged Mary to forgive the man who killed her son. And Pastora, with love and dedication, cared for this man, even after she learned what she did, and she loved this man so much that they became close. You know, this reminds me of Maria Goretti. And she became friends with him that when he was killed, this man was ended up killing years later. She felt like she lost another child. Oh, I pray every day to God for, for, to be able to be like that. Because I don't know if I could do that. Lord, please give me the grace to be merciful like that because it's greater than forgiveness. That's mercy where there's actually reconciliation. Forgiveness, don't not forgive because you think you have to reconcile. If you can only just let go, forgive and let go, do that. But if God calls you to a higher level of mercy where you actually reconcile, do that. All right, so several years later, 
This is just like Maria Goretti. So let us imitate Pastora and ask the Blessed Virgin Mary to intercede that we may be faithful and forgiving and so open to receiving the mercy of God that we give the mercy of God. To refuse to forgive others is to refuse God's mercy to ourselves. Wow. No person, no matter what they've done, is worth losing your soul. I promise you, please. All right, last final section. And I, I think it's important to say that in order to receive mercy, we must show mercy. In order to be forgiven, we must forgive. St. Faustina said we must most resemble God when we forgive our neighbor. Of all the things, of all the things St. Faustina said to resemble Jesus, she said the most is when we forgive. Hmm. All right, I want to do a quick quote. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, listen to this quote. If you're thinking, Father, I can't be called to that. I don't, I've never had anything like that happen to me. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. It is perhaps not so hard to forgive a single great injury, but it may be actually harder to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life. To keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son. How can we do it? Okay, by remembering where we stand, by meaning our words, and we say in the prayer each night, the Our Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. There is no hint of exceptions, and God means what he says. I can't even whistle. All right, last, not least, number seven, pray for the living and the dead. Look at our slide, pray for the living and the dead. One of the greatest of all spiritual works of mercy often overlooked is to pray for the dying. Let's read what St. Faustina says. Let's go right into our next slide. St. Faustina, Jesus said, pray as much as you can for the dying. By your entreaties, obtain for them trust in my mercy because they have most need of trust and have it the least. Be assured that the grace of eternal salvation for certain souls in their final moment depends on your prayer. These are the words of Jesus. You know that the whole abyss of my mercy, so draw upon it for yourself and especially for poor sinners. Diary 1777. Oh my. Very, very, very powerful. All right. Now, to finish, our works of mercy, both corporal and spiritual, will seem inadequate compared to what the world needs. It's like a drop in the ocean, isn't it? Ah, so should we give up? No, our Lord doesn't ask us to fix every problem or meet every need. You can't. You can't feed every homeless person. You can't do it. We are only asked to do what we can and leave the rest to him. He works out the rest. What is that blessed Consolata Bertoni? You worry only about loving me and I will take care of everything else to the last detail. Man, I love that. Remember the five loaves and the two fish? They had just a tiny bit. The meager little supply, yet when offered in faith, was found to be enough to feed multitudes. 
So if your prayer is only five little loaves and two little fish, you can feed thousands. Because Jesus says that faith will do the rest. With faith, you can move mountains. So our little meager efforts to practice the corporal spiritual works of mercy can have big effects. Just ask to be guided by the Holy Spirit and offer it up. We can work miracles. That's what the four men and the paralytic did. The four men on the roof. They healed that man. Well, Jesus did, but because of their faith. Some of these miracles will never, ever, ever be seen on our own eyes until we meet God face to face in the general judgment or our particular judgment. And then in the general judgment, Jesus shows all the effects your prayers had on history. You know what the general judgment, what you will learn? Every sacrifice, every prayer, every penance that you ever did, every mass you attended, every offering that you made on that altar, you will see at the general judgment, your particular judgment is about you and what your fate will be. But at the general judgment, you will see the effect of every word, deed, or action you ever did, how it had on the world. And for the righteous, that'll mean heaven. For the unrighteous, it'll mean damnation. Because we have to do it in Christ's name not for ourselves. So this is why the works of mercy are so important. Every word, deed, and prayer. Jesus says, I've given you three ways to do works of mercy, word, deed, and prayer. At the general judgment, you'll see where every word, every deed, and every prayer, how it affected the world positively or negatively. Every good word or bad word, you'll see how it affected others in the world. Every deed, how it affected the lives of others, maybe even took the life of another. Or good word or bad word, did it destroy their reputation? Or did it help them so that you built them up? This is powerful. We'll learn this. And God will give us the grace to see as he sees us. Our prayers will then be shown to us at the general judgment how they were multiplied. Jesus took five loaves and fed 5,000. Jesus could take five of your prayers, five decades of the rosary, and save 5,000 souls. You want to take five loaves and feed 5,000? Take five decades of a rosary and save 5,000 souls. You're not saving them. Jesus is, but he's using you as the instrument. Powerful stuff. All right, so it is then that we turn his loving gaze and we will know what happens. Now, I want to read you the words of Teresa of Avila. That's our, our last couple slides. Teresa of Avila said, Christ has, okay, this is the words, um, Wait a second, where am I at? Sorry, 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 sorry. Okay, let me get back to where I was. Okay, Teresa of Avila said, Christ has no body on earth now but yours. No hands on earth but yours. No feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ must look out to the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless his people. Wow, that's the words of St. Teresa of Avila. While doing it physically is great, it doesn't have to be. Do you know Teresa of, uh, of Lisieux was the patron of missions and she never went on a mission ever? because she did it from, the, from her own place, her own convent. You too. Be a Marian helper. Be a Marian helper. Let's look at our next slide. It's so simple. 
It, it, it doesn't cost anything. It takes 10 seconds. Go to MIC for Miriam's Immaculate Conception, micprayers.org. Be a Miriam helper. And you can be the hands and feet of Jesus through us. You can't go to Vietnam and help the people there, but we are. You can't go to Cabejo and be the hands and feet for the people physically, but we are. And so you become the spiritual hands and feet because your prayers and support allows the Marian fathers to go and do that kind of missionary work. And not just in the foreign lands, whew, right here in our own country and not just in our own country, in our own church. That's in so desperate need. As Jesus told St. Faustina, I'm giving you three ways of mercy by word, deed, and prayer. I've been saying that. So I want to finish with inviting you. I'm reminding you, you guys keeping up with me? Next slide. Change the world. Do a daily act of mercy. Do a daily act every day. Something little small. Say something nice about somebody. Do something nice for somebody. If you're going to bed and you realize, oh, geez, I forgot, say a little prayer. Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on Jane, a poor sinner. Have mercy on me, a poor sinner. It's a work of mercy. This is powerful. Then every Friday, do a little act of penance. I'm going to keep reminding you all to join me in this endeavor. And if you want to know how to do them even better, we'll send you for free. You don't even have to pay for shipping. I'm not about any of that. I, I'll send it to you for free. I'll even pay the shipping. Next slide. Get the free pamphlet that talks about the works of mercy. And you can get that at marion.org slash live mercy. And so this is powerful. So many of the corporal and the corporal works of mercy do take time, talent, and treasure. But the spiritual works of mercy you could do in your own room. Pray for the living and the dead, which everybody can do. And Jesus said the spiritual even better. So pray especially for those who are not likely to be prayed for, the bad, the homeless, the criminals, the forgotten. If not you, who? It helps us to be much more, to help those, it helps us much more than those we pray for. You pray for, for those in prison and it's helping you more. It's amazing. To learn about praying for the dead and loved ones, you can even, you know, pray for the holy souls. Good stuff. You know, works of mercy are the best investment you'll ever make. They have infinite returns. It's not because we're working our way into heaven. No, God's grace is the only way to salvation. But works of mercy are how you cooperate with that grace. You'll save souls. Most of all, you'll save your own. Whew. Wow. All right. God bless you all. If you'd want to read more about this, please. I'm going to have marks for a couple last slides. My book called Understanding Divine Mercy explains the power of prayer that we've just been talking about. You can get that for any donation, even a dollar. Father, all I got is a dollar. Fine. God's been blessing us so much. I give it to you. It's at divine, thedivinemercy.org slash UDM for Understanding Divine Mercy or 800-4-MARIAN, which is 462-7426. And finally, Father Mike Gately's got a really good book called You Did It to Me. I can't emphasize that enough because he talks about the works of mercy. And you can get that last slide at shopmercy.org. Y'all get all that? I'm sweating like crazy up here. But this to me is something that our faith is all about. God bless you all for listening. God bless you all. Do you realize it was a work of mercy sitting through this? 
You realize that? Your patience, look what you did here today, all right? First of all, you were patient. <laughs> you comforted because a lot of people here need to know God's mercy and forgiveness. You instructed the ignorant because ourselves are ignorant. I'm ignorant. We all have to learn the faith. So you instructed the ignorant, which is yourself in many ways, if you've learned anything new here today. I learned, I was instructed by, as an ignorant by putting my no notes together, talking with my staff, putting together this presentation. So praise be to God now and forever. And remember, God's mercy endures forever. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I won't even make Brother Mark show an ad at the end. We did enough. So praise be to God now and forever. Thank you, everybody, very, very much. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.